0: Good afternoon and welcome everybody! This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It is my great pleasure to be with you. Happy, happy draft day everybody. Alright, we made it to the NFL Draft and for that I'm excited. I'm excited for a couple of reasons, get to those reasons momentarily. I'm Jeff, that is Tom, Director Matthew in the house as always looking for other ways to catch up on twitter it's at j cameron show if you're watching on Warchant tv first of all thank you for doing so secondly i'd say make sure you like and uh, subscribe war Chant tv helps others find more of what we do and um, brings more people to the party on a daily basis which is a good thing for us and Good thing for people who love uh, a central theme, not always the topic of the day, but a central theme usually surrounding Florida State. And um, some of that will happen uh, again today. Actually, something that impacts Florida State and all college football teams in general uh, these days, of course, is uh, transfer portal activity and, of course, also name, image, likeness. Joining me on the program to talk about that today at one30 our good friend and uh, outstanding uh, talent, uh, David Hale, who uh, joins us at the uh, bottom of the hour, 1.30, he'll come on, and uh, that will be via the StreamYard link. So you, if you're watching the show, you'll get to see David uh, pop up there on your video screen and have our usual long-form discussion. Uh, anytime he comes on, we like to uh, to make it a bit more uh, meaty, the give and the take, the conversation is always fun and his insights are always appreciated. So David Hale will join us today at 130 and we'll talk about an article he wrote how college football's transfer portal is changing spring practice, changing college football, uh and and look at a lot of the uh a lot of the items in that article that are of interest to me and you and all of us that care about college football and the direction that it's going and what schools uh anticipate and most importantly uh, what coaches think. He had a chance to talk to a lot of coaches across college football, and I want to get his thoughts, his, some of his takeaways that perhaps weren't in uh, the article, and some certainly uh, that were. So we'll talk to David Hale today at one thirty. And for now, though, I would say good day to you, sir. Draft party tonight. It's not a, an official radio event or war chant event. It's more of a casual, hey, we're going to go watch the draft at Bumpus. Swing on by if you're feeling it. Um, We always do. We always have a good time there. We always enjoy ourselves. The food's delicious. They are great sponsors of the Jeff Cameron Show and have been for a long time. So we go, we hang out, we indulge, and we watch the draft and the ups and the downs and everything else. So it is tonight that, as is projected, number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars, whom we sometimes forget are even in the league. uh, They'll go number one overall, not surprisingly, and uh, they've been number one before. They're there again. And they get the opportunity to take uh, Trayvon Walker, it looks like, at defensive end for Georgia, according to many. Maybe not. I don't know. It's all over the map right now with the last of the projected uh, NFL first-round selections, mocks, if you will, that are out there. There are a lot of them. Some say trade, 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 and all that good stuff. Others noting that, um, uh, that there are teams who are willing to move up. Let's hope it is a blank show. I want it to be a mess. I want to hear about this pick is delayed because it's been traded to and everything else. I want all of that to happen. Uh, The more chaos, the better for me on draft night. I always enjoy that. But uh, if they stick to what the rumor is, the rumor is that uh, it, will, it
1: will be Trayvon Walker, the defensive end out of Georgia. Yeah, you said if you're feeling it, the question uh, is not a question to me. I'm feeling it. I'm oh, ready yeah. to go for the draft Let's tonight. Let's go. It'll buddy. be a good time. We, there's even an homage to start today's JCS in the chat section where the time is documented uh, from one of our listeners. I just see it. J. Yeah, J. There it
0: is. It's 107 in Virginia, and J.J. will become a millionaire today. That is right, J.B. No, and you, sir, per the old school Jeff Cameron show tradition, are damn skippy. We're having noted the time. Yeah, all those moons ago, that was the signifier. And back then, much to my chagrin, it was 6.14 a.m. And I would be like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And your host has slept very little.
1: Five hours ago, I was in the middle of a pool game or a darts game. I
0: was playing darts in all likelihood. It was. uh, Four hours ago, I was in the middle of a dart game. This is how that used to be 23 years ago, 22 years ago, yeah.
1: Top 10 pick, what do you think for Jermaine Johnson?
0: I'm rooting for it. You know, they, uh, I've seen as many as three or four of the many mocks that I've looked at that, in fact, did have him as a top 10 pick. Um, I've seen him as high as number four to the Jets if they were to steer clear of Sauce Gardner, uh, with that fourth pick. Uh, I don't know. The Giants were rumored maybe with one of their two picks also to be looking at Jermaine Johnson. I don't think they would pick him at five. I think that would be Evan Neal if he's on the board at that point. Um but yeah, there's a possibility because they do like defensive end and they pick again at I think seven. So if that's true, if Thibodeau's off the board at that point, uh obviously I already began the show with the or, or began the draft by noting the first two picks are Defensive ends, Trayvon Walker uh, from Georgia and then uh, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. So two of the big-time defensive ends would be off the board. Then that leaves Thibodeau and then Jermaine Johnson. Thibodeau is obviously more well thought of, I think, than Jermaine Johnson. But he didn't do himself any favors. Yep,
1: depends on the franchise. That's correct. Because Jermaine could go before Thibodeau and it wouldn't be that much of a shocker. It's about a coin flip at this point, I'd say.
0: Which tells you how far up the ladder... Jermaine Johnson has climbed from the time he enrolled at Florida State to tonight's draft because preseason football, it was well thought that Kevon Thibodeau was going to be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, Most people thought Kevon was going to be the guy, uh, just a dynamic player, had had a great season, he was coming off a great season, there were high expectations at Oregon for the season that was. Uh, obviously, it started well enough, even to though he didn't play in the game. If I remember correctly that upset over ohio state he he was hurt but they you know you thought about the way their season started compared to the way it ended uh but but he kind of got knocked a little bit about effort and about commitment and about focus and those aren't things that make people feel at ease when they're about to spend millions and millions of dollars on a prospect to change their franchise's fortune and or those the giants have stunk for a while now and they've got to get it right and so I don't know if they feel like beyond the physical which you know in Thibodeau's case 65 240 uh, 245 uh, you know obviously uh, the quickness to go along with it. Uh, but then from there, you know, you, if you look at the productivity from this year, Jermaine Johnson, he's 6'5", 255. He's the same – I mean, he was – and he was a more productive player. I, that's Interesting.
1: Yeah, to me, I think a lot of the Thibodeau stuff is overblown. I think he's going to be too. a good player. I do But too. that doesn't mean I'm not rooting for Jermaine Johnson to go higher in the draft. The higher he goes, the better it is for Florida State, and the better it is for somebody who cares about Florida State. So it's a win-win all the way around the earlier he goes.
0: I don't think he's going to fall much beyond – let's say he doesn't go in the top 10, which, you know, that's that's entirely possible. It wouldn't even be shocking if he didn't. But I don't think he'll get past the Texans at 13 if they're drafting, and they're said to be highly focused on a defensive end. So – I don't I don't think he'd fall beyond the Texans and they drafted thirteen.
1: Yeah, when we first started talking about this, and this was I think February, that really in earnest we we begun a discussion about the draft. I always said it was very helpful for Jermaine's purposes that you've got teams with multiple picks in the top fifteen. Yeah. That moves him up the board automatically. And so as long as the Jets or the Giants don't trade one of their picks I think Jermaine's in really really good shape to go top 10 tonight. But if one of, you know, if they parlay that because they want a first round pick next year or something like that where there's a better quarterback draft upcoming than there is tonight, you could see some teams that want trench depth trade with teams that want a quarterback next year. And I oh, wouldn't be well, shocked about that. Happened.
0: Yeah. But. No, well, that's why I'm so intrigued. I mean, it, it could be If we're solely focused on our interest in Jermaine Johnson doing well, I'm really rooting for this guy. I I just want you to know we we, we are very fortunate in the job that we have. We get the opportunity to talk to players and coaches up close and personal on a regular basis. And just like at your job, those of you out there listening, there are people at your workplace that you like, new employees that come and go, some you like, some you don't, some you're interested in, some you're not, some you're indifferent about, some you hate whatever it might be that's true of our workplace too both within the company of course in general speaking like you know the 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 field of journalism yeah, and or the entertainment eh, but, no, there's no hate oh about, no i don't yeah, mean yeah. i don't mean at war Ch- i'm talking you know what i mean i'm not saying 933 or war Ch- i'm saying like just in general the people we encounter that work in this field right the point would be every now and then you meet a kid or young man and you're just blown away immediately you're just it's like, oh, my God, this guy hit it out the park. Director Matthew, we love you. And that's Jermaine Johnson. The second I met him, the second we talked to him every subsequent time, we watched him in practice, obviously, for all that got to see him in the games. But then you talk to him before and after the season, talk to him about you know, preparation, you talk to him about workouts, you talk about football, you talk about his life, you talk about perspective. This is a kid that had it all the way around. And, you know, we were told, Coach Papuchas told us at the luncheon, told me specifically, you know, Jermaine was a guy that when the light bulb came on, and it probably was the moment he decided to come to Florida State, leave Georgia for this opportunity. I'm not saying because because he came here. I'm saying this is a kid who suddenly was in a position to take his skill set very, very seriously with the understanding That there is a hell of an opportunity here and I have to make the best of this. I have to do what's best for me and that is not just about physically getting stronger, understanding the game more. These are things that all football players have to do. But I have to take on more responsibility to show that I can be a leader and to show that I have great perspective. So somebody pointed out in the chat about the interview process. Well, there's no question that once they got a good look at him in person, they could see physically he is uh, the real deal. But then when they got a chance to talk to him, they learned what we learned <clears throat> excuse me, early in the year. And that is that that is an incredibly mature kid who takes all of this very, very seriously and is willing to take on the responsibility
1: that comes with being an elite player. And from what we can see, he's just a good guy, too. Because I can speak to a personal story around the holidays where he's at a place, doesn't advertise with us, but it's got a midway, playing some games, right? playing some games on his own with a friend. And a friend of mine has a couple of kids who love Florida State football. Right. I wanted to go take a picture with him, And my friend said, go ahead, come on. I said, yeah, it probably will work. I didn't play intermediary at all. I just watched it happen. He could not have been more gracious, yeah. could not have spent yeah. more time. Could He got down on a knee and shook their hand and then wrapped his arms around him, took a photo, and was smiling. Not the photo where it's like, all right, let's get this over with. Like I'm happy to do this. Mm -hmm. It's just cool to see when somebody puts that all together. The skill set, the commitment, and then also, they're just kind of a nice person. You root for those people to do really, really well. Get a second contract and a third contract. And he said it, I think, I forget was it Josina Anderson he said it to? The message to the GMs. I'll be the best player since your last Hall of Famer. He bets on himself with strong, strong verbiage, too.
0: I think it's because not only does he understand he's a good football player, and he's got a lot of what for it that he brings to the table in addition to unique talents, but he his his work ethic, he he likes it. He embraces what is required of somebody who would be drafted in this spot. He embraces that I, I I gotta get up and I gotta put myself in the best position to succeed each and every day. That is the leadership that Coach Norvell was banking on when he brought him in. Now he knew he could play and he knew he needed his help. That was a given. But he saw the potential for that guy to lead the way as the most talented player with the greatest work ethic. Now that is the ultimate form of leadership when you have that, when, you, when your best player is also your hardest worker and, and is willing to embrace that. Like, I'll show you. That's fine. Come on, I'll see you. meet you here at 5 a.m. for a good workout. Let's go. That, that's huge. So what GM that does that interview doesn't go, okay, he may not be a Hall of Famer. Who knows? We'll see. And I like that he's that kind of confident. But I know I'm going to get a kid that even when I give him the money, he's going to work his ass off because he understands the importance and the responsibility. It's Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. time or your money back guaranteed because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at eBayMotors.com Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Jeff Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio or Chant TV. Bottom of the hour, David Hale, ESPN.com going to join us very short segment here, so we make enough room to make sure that David and I can have a pleasant and lengthy conversation. Well, as long as we need it to be, but we just need to have the ability to navigate all of that. If I said to you of these particular players at the position, who do you want? Traylon Burks, Arkansas wide receiver, 6'3, 225, um, mismatch receiver. Just such a a big, strong kid. Uh, No blazing speed. Uh, Then again, there have been plenty of guys with that size and the physical tools to overcome that, um, which is uh, obviously there's a competitive fire, there's a strength factor, there's a body type, there's all those things to win the one-on-one battles, to go up and and do like an Anquan Bolden did for a very long time. Uh, Do you want Garrett Wilson, Ohio State? Ohio State, of course, has a gazillion very good wide receivers he was one of them he and chris olave uh a smaller receiver very very um uh after the catch kind of superstar uh that's a he's if he's even he's gone he's leaving that's it uh so there is that um he can get better if there's a knock in route running that is that is one of them. Jamison Williams who I love and think is the guy that if somehow some way that joker fell down to Tampa Bay, I am all in. 62 195 crazy athletic only being knocked because of injury will be fine. I'd take him.
1: I think you'd have to trade up to get him, but it might be to like 15. Yeah. And if you could, that would be great because you got to start planning for life after Brady. I mean, with that new contract reworking of how it frees up money for the cap this year, Brady's not coming back. This is it. This, this is, is it. it. Yeah, this is it. Basically, it's been said. When Jason Light was asked, are, are you talking extension? And he says, no. <laughs> that tells you that this is it. So you've got to start drafting players for post-Brady. That might help you now, but will definitely help you later. And Jameson Williams would be, of those choices so far you've given, my first choice, but I don't know that wide receiver is the first position I would attack.
0: Well, I just want one of these guys to fall. I mean, if Chris Olave fell that far, oh, even well. better. I mean, yeah. that's a no-brainer. Even
1: to 15, you start making phone calls. Yeah,
0: you're like, really? This guy's still here? Let's, let's do that. <laughs> let's go ahead and do that. I'm just curious. It's a great and deep position. I just named four that could go easily in the first round. Drake London's another kid out of Southern Cal um, that that might very well, and he's 6'5", 6'6", 2'2".
1: The problem is, if you're Tampa specifically, you've already lost a Pro Bowl guard, the better of the two. Well, you know who I want there. You lost the other guard. So now you've got Mason from New England back. That's a shorter-term solution. Wirfs is going to be an anchor for your offensive line for another 10 years as long as he doesn't retire out of nowhere. Ryan Jansen is only around for another year or two. They like the kid they drafted last season. I forget if it was Iowa or where, as a center. So you really only have two long-term solutions on the offensive line. At most, might be one. There are
0: only two pure guards that you could draft in the first round. One of them is Zion Johnson, the guard out of Boston College, and he is a massive figure that was a dominant guard and is a true guard, and I'd be happy with him. Of course, there's very little chance that Kenyon Green is going to be available from Texas A&M when we draft. If he's there, then that's the better pick because he, in my opinion, is the better guard. That would be. But that's it. That's it for guards. Plenty of tackles, but that's it for guards. So let's see what they do there. Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. David Hale, ESPN.com, college football writer writer extraordinaire to join us to talk about NIL and the transfer portal and how it's changing college football. Next on the Jeff Cameron Show. For a five-star mortgage experience at (laughs)
1: FSUHomeLoans.com.
0: Jeff Camera Show, 93.3, Real Talk ready War Chant TV. Great to be with you, as I said before. Happy Draft Day, everybody. We'll get there together and have fun tonight. us Local 349 Capital Circle, uh, if you're wondering where that is. And uh, we will be there, Tom. What time you think? Around 7.45, 7.30? Draft starts at 8-ish, right? Yeah, I
1: mean, 7.30 is a fair ballpark, I'd say. depends on... I mean,
0: there's golf to be played, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there is. <laughs> Ah, I see him. There he is. Look at that. I get the smile. I see my man, David Hale. He is a tremendous writer and works for ESPN.com, and you can read all of his college football stuff there and see him bounce around all over, really, and now he joins us on the show. Hello, David. How are you, buddy? I'm well,
2: sir. I don't feel comfortable in this scenario where I'm, I'm in a visual medium. That's not my—I have a face for radio. I have a voice for print, a face for radio— and nothing for television.
0: But like look television. at that beard, buddy. It's been a while since so <laughs> I it looks great. Well, you know. A lot of
2: grays coming in.
0: A lot of grays. And you're a dad. And you're a busy dad. And a busy rider. But you know how it is. You grow the beard. You, you do it all because you're like, who do I have to impress? I, this is me now. This is what? Who am I impressing now? Right?
2: I I still feel like I need to impress people, like I because uh, I have nothing else to offer. I have to, you know, my my rugged good looks and boyish charm are the only things that have gotten me where I am. So I'm <laughs> losing out on at least one of them.
0: Well, let's get to the piece. uh How college football's transfer portal is changing spring practice. For a, a lot of my listeners certainly and viewers have have read it, and and I, it's it's the topic. Du jour. It's what everybody wants to know. We all love college football, and David, I want to I want to start with sort of an, an observation. Uh, and and I'm kind of curious. It's been a while since you and I talked, but you end the piece by saying a new round of roster uh, movement is is coming, and I feel like for fans that feels like that's true in perpetuity. That they don't know what is anymore. Like the, the, all of the parameters, all of the rules of yesteryear are gone. All of the methodologies have changed. What's possible has changed. But also, you know, trying to and the coaches talk about it in this piece re-recruiting your own roster, worrying about a guy putting his name in in the middle of a season and so that they can get there in time for the – it's just – it's crazy town in college football right now. And I just – I want to know, do you hear from the college football fan what I seem to sense, which is, where's my sport? What is happening to the sport I once loved? Fair or not, that just feels like what I'm getting back is this vibe of, we already have pro sports.
2: I, I don't want this. Yeah, I think there's definitively something to that, and I, I've, it's funny because I think we spent way too long thinking, what do what is good for the programs, the coaches, the academic leaders, the ADs, whatever, um, they were sort of the voice that mattered, and we've seen, I think, largely for good, a seismic shift towards empowering the players, uh, and that has come, I think, from, from the media, from the players having more of a voice, and certainly from the From the courts, which have delivered the NCAA a ton of L's over the last couple of years. Um, What is missing consistently from those conversations is the third piece to the puzzle, which is the fans, are the ones that are paying the bills via ticket purchases, TV ratings, all of that. And I think that that you're absolutely right. Look, with any change, there is going to be some discomfort and angst. Uh, And so I think there is inherently a little bit of that being overrated in that uh, once people get used to things, that change tends to be less of a big deal. But I think there are uh, genuine concerns, and I mean, you point to one: what is it that makes college football, if not better, certainly different than the NFL? Well, one thing is the fact that you don't have uh, free agency season happening every year. Um, I think there is, you know, I've covered I've covered professional sports too, and I think there's a a genuine difference in the investment that fans make in their players um, for a lot of reasons. But I think number one, because it's guys who were going to the school that they went to sitting in the same classrooms that they sat into going to the same, you know, bars out on Tennessee street that they went to. Um, there's something to be said for that sort of connection that you lose that when everything sort of becomes as the old uh, Jerry Seinfeld joke, that we're all rooting for laundry because you're just, the uniforms are the only things that stay the same. And, And I guess even if you're Oregon, that's not even true. So um, I I think that that, that you'll lose something. There's definitely something that is being lost here. And I think um, the two questions that you need to ask are, one, are we gaining something that is more important than what is being lost? And B, uh, is there any alternative to it anyway? Are we beating our our heads against a wall for something that is now, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube, the bell has been rung, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And I think, even if you embrace the radical shift that we've seen now, and you and I have had conversations about this over the years, we we were in favor of players being able to benefit from name image likeness and make some money and and all those things. I think there are a lot of college football fans who thought it was uh, long past due for something like that to happen. I think the fear stems from there doesn't seem to be a regulatory group coming to save the day anytime soon because the NCAA is impotent and has put their hands up and lost in court uh as as we knew they would and as seemingly has always been the case the NCAA did never get out in front of what was coming and because they didn't it feels like to a lot of us and a lot of college football fans this is a free for all anybody oh, can do whatever the hell they want to do and how do you how do you change that because the coaches in your piece quoted um David they they don't seem to have, I mean, they've got suggestions, but they don't believe there's anybody coming to specifically lay down guidelines and rules to be adhered to by these schools anytime soon.
2: No, there's not, frankly, there's not, and um, this is the NCAA's undoing, first of all, let's, let's just be very clear, and, and this is one of the things that is really frustrating me about the conversations that we're having around a lot of the changes, the transfer portal, NIL, and, and there are definitively bad consequences to this, uh, and I don't know who would argue that. Um, but those bad consequences were inevitable, and the NCAA, I, I think you can, an optimist or somebody who wants to believe the NCA is genuinely... Uh, attempts to be a benevolent organization, just were, were their hands were tied. Um, I would argue they made that choice on their own, too. Uh, or I think if you want to believe the NCAA is not so benevolent, that they're, they're glad to see this happen because now they can say, look, we told you so. We gave the players a little bit of power, and look what it's done to our sport. Um There's a little bit of that conversation going on. But the fact of the matter is, ain't nobody doing anything about it. And you talk to folks in college football and and leadership in college football, and they've said the NCAA is is effectively a non-entity when it comes to regulation. Now They are so afraid of being uh, sued for an antitrust violation uh, that would effectively end amateurism altogether. I would argue we're pretty much knocking at that door right now anyway, so what does it matter? Um, And B... Um, the federal government could certainly step in in some uh, capacity, but I don't think there's a a lot of uh, enthusiasm for doing that when there are much bigger uh, fish to fry at that level. And certainly you don't see a lot of uh, congressmen getting on the same page about anything right now, let alone something as as ancillary as this. And, uh, you know, even if they were to do this, I don't think that that anything that comes down from them is necessarily going to be the things that – college football fans or leadership likes. I mean, read Justice Kavanaugh's opinion in the Alston case. That's probably what mainstream um, Washington, D.C. federal government is going to be looking at from a legal standpoint. And that answer there is like (laughs) amateurism doesn't work. We can't have it like this anymore. So that's the answer right now.
0: So uh, I want to read an excerpt and then ask you a question. Uh, This is from, from the story David, uh, the addition came on the heels of stern comments from Saban about the current transfer marketplace, which, when aided by lax restrictions on name, image, and likeness, has created a de facto free agency that Saban deemed, quote, unsustainable. Do all or almost all of the coaches you talk to share that viewpoint?
2: Yeah, everyone. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to be or at least will vocally say i want to be in this current scenario now there are certainly coaches and programs that are doing a better job of navigating these waters and Saban is on that list i mean Saban can sit there and decry this situation all he wants and he's not necessarily wrong but you can also make the case that no program has benefited more from it than alabama and nick saban i mean he's got a laundry list of guys just this year that I think are going to make his team a whole hell of a lot better that he has largely because of NIL and the transfer portal. Um, and we're certainly seeing that at the, re- the, the high school recruiting level with what Texas A&M is doing. We're seeing that in the transfer market constantly. Lane Kiffin, I think, has done a wonderful job with it. Um, I don't know that if you pegged down Jimbo or Lane or Saban and said, like, do you like this? Is this the way you want to do business? I'm not sure they'd say yes. Um they'd probably be maybe a little less vocal than, than Saban was. But at the end of the day, like this is the rules are what they are, which is effectively that there are none. Um, and there are programs that are poised to take advantage of that situation. There are programs. Um, I think you could probably put Clemson a little bit in this conversation of saying, like, I don't like this and I'm not going to do it that way unless I absolutely have to. Uh, and then there's programs that I think would love to, that just don't have the resources to do it. So, um, You know, there was an interesting article, and I'm going to forget who wrote it, so I apologize, but I think it it was in – just kill me because I can't remember any of this. But basically it said, um, you know, show me a team who is doing uh, poorly in this modern era, and it was probably a team that was doing poorly before all of this too. Largely you have – The teams that were successful are staying successful in this marketplace and the teams that weren't aren't so a little bit of it is sort of splitting hairs but i don't think anybody likes the way that business is being done and i'm not even sure when you start talking to the players how much they like the feeling of like constantly having to be worried about is there a better opportunity out there for me um and i don't know that like a guy like dj would sit there and say this specifically uh because i don't think he wants to make any excuses but you, you look at sort of the burden that was on his shoulders last year with the national television deal and being one of the first true faces of NIL, and he hadn't really proven himself yet. And then he went out on the field and looked really bad. And I think it's hard to separate all of those things. So we have put a lot of the players. On the other hand, like what's what, again, is the alternative? Were we better in a situation? Fans might have been better. Coaches might have been better. But I still don't think the players were in a better place before all of this. And so it's hard to ignore that.
0: Yeah, I almost want to cut to the chase and ask you to project, knowing what you do, and as much as you've written, followed, and educated yourself over the years on this process, what happens two, three, four years down the road? Do we get some of what you talked about in the article, or at least what coaches alluded to, which is this idea... You know, we just finished, we just got done covering spring football, for example, of course, and the entirety of that spring football camp, beyond looking at players that are improving and which players came in and how to lend context to my audience about what Florida State looks like here, here, and here. The, basically, we were writing something and, and talking about something on a daily basis that you wrote about, which is that, okay, this kid's not winning the job. Are they going to have to re-recruit him, or is he as good as gone? That's all of spring now for all of these coaches. It's this idea that, and I'll quote from your article here, the result is that the winter is as much about recruiting your own roster as it is recruiting high school talent coaches, say. And the spring is constant guessing game as to who will endure a spot down the depth chart and who will just walk away if they don't win the job. I added that last part. That's what we were sitting there doing now. That's what everybody does when they cover college football now is if you're at a spring practice, you're like, oh, that guy's going to win the starting corner's job. Well, dude, behind him or behind him is a redshirt junior. Peace, he's gone. There's no chance he sticks around here. Is 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 something going to change in terms of the timing of or how to handle that? In which they change the dates by which players can freely move.
2: Uh, there's a lot to sort of take, take yeah. away from this. I think the, the first thing is that um, you're right. I mean, this is sort of a uh, an obvious concern, and worse than that is is. Um, I had a good talk with Manny Diaz about this and and, and talked about some of his ideas uh, that he put forth uh, in the article. But um, one thing he pointed out is like, let's not try to save spring football and let it further ruin the regular season. I'm much more concerned about the guys that are leaving during the season than the guys who are leaving after spring practice because they don't like their spot on the depth chart. And frankly, some of that is a good thing. You can look at a guy that was at Florida State last year who's about to make a whole hell of a lot of money because he didn't like his spot on the depth chart at Georgia and picked up and moved to Florida State and had a really, really good football season and he's going to be a first-round draft pick now. There's, I mean, it's hard to tell these guys you shouldn't be doing this when there are guys who are clearly benefiting from it. Not all of them, but but some clearly are. Um, I think there is certainly um, the notion out there of what, can we just establish transfer windows? Can we at least limit when this is happening? Again, you're asking the NCA to do something it has been unwilling to do until this point. And I've talked to several coaches who think that this is, it's not going to happen anytime soon either uh, on this point. Uh, what Manny Diaz has suggested is at least incentivize The right thing so that if you can't create guidelines or regulations to keep guys from doing it at least don't incentivize it and so his point was like the the desire or um, push to be on campus for spring ball and winter workouts means you've got to have guys enrolled in january and that's why so many guys are leaving in november to get in transfer portal and take their visits because they need to have that stuff wrapped up by you know, essentially the early signing day in early December. So everything about the way the calendar is currently constructed right now um, is incentivizing what we already don't want to have happen. So I think that's that's a small step that could be taken that actually could happen from the NCA's standpoint without putting any restrictions on players, but simply change some of the incentive structure so that there's not as much of a desire to do it at the worst possible times. But the fact of the matter is is, is the only real long term solution here to get actual regulations, to get some sort of guardrails within the situation, within the, the, the entire construct of all of this is to bring the players to a negotiating table and say, What are you what will you accept also? Because everything else besides that is an antitrust violation. And so if you're gonna do that then we are looking at a world in which we have effectively professionalized the sport. And again, you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it is the only way out of this, though.
0: I'm curious, um, have you heard whether or not uh, conferences will have any inclination to reel in some of this since the NCAA can't or or will not? Have you heard anything like
2: that? Well, some of the recent moves just in the last 48 hours or so regarding the NCAA and their governance over effectively what they're going to say we're not in the business of doing anymore and it'll be conference decisions about, um, you know, coaching limitations and stuff like that. Like, this is the first step towards doing that. Um, I think what we will ultimately see is that there are conferences who are going to say, we don't care if we're paying players directly. We'll go ahead and professionalize this ourselves. I mean, this has been the, the idea, I think, for at least the past few months, maybe past year now, is that we're going to get to some sort of super conference structure. Um, I think, you know, we've sort of all forgotten, and I think rightly so, about the quote-unquote alliance between the Big Ten, ACC, and, and Pac-12. I think a little bit of that is is the Pac-12 and the ACC just making sure they've got, um, you know, a seat to sit in when, when the music stops by partnering up with the Big Ten. Um, I, I think that ultimately that's where a lot of this leads, is that we have sort of a two-tiered structure of football um, where you have one or two super conferences that, that are willing to bring players to the table, that are willing to treat them as uh, employees, and that will negotiate some sort of guardrails within the construct of, of how they're going to do business that will make this work. And it will probably look very similar to the NFL. And then I think you'll have other schools that say, we don't have the resources to do that or we don't want to do that, um, and we'll attempt to maintain some level of amateurism um, and in the process probably lose out on a good chunk of the TV revenue that they're getting right now. Again, I, it's, it's going to force a lot of very difficult decisions, and it's going to force a lot of the powers that be who have been saying the things that they want to say to benefit their situation to actually sit down and make some hard choices.
0: David, how does the Super Conference reality come to be? Like in the chicken or the egg game, is it the TV networks? Or conferences that, that start the change?
2: I think it's the conferences, probably, more more than anything. I think frankly it's the SEC. Um, what you have certainly with adding Oklahoma and Texas was a I think what a lot of people thought was a first step in that direction. I mean, frankly, if you look at the financial structure and what the projections are over the next ten years. We're living in two absolute different realities with what the big 10 and the sec are able to uh, create in revenue what everybody else is able to do um at some point you know right now the acc is being saved by a grant of rights deal that runs through the mid 2030s but every year that passes the value of that grant of rights deal uh, goes down and the amount of money that you could make the share of money that you could make in the SEC versus what you're making in the ACC goes up. So just do the math, this is not sustainable for the long term. Eventually, I've heard rumblings that, you know, maybe there would become some uh, class action lawsuits against these grant of rights agreements in the first place and, and schools try to get out of them early. <laughs> it's always, you know, everything's possible, it's just what the price tag is. And frankly, eventually, the price tag is gonna become affordable enough, relatively speaking, that that I think the the levy breaks and it starts to happen. And um, I don't know when that happens. My guess is if it's 10 years from now, that's probably the long end of this timeline. My guess is it might be something sooner than that.
0: I'm curious. You've got great insight and have done a great job of covering the ACC for a very long time, and that includes Clemson, obviously. How pissed off are your Clemson contacts, for example, as far as the Grant of (laughs) Rights deal goes?
2: look this is this is um (laughs) i think there's everybody that's a little pissed off about it but here's the thing i've sat down with um a lot of leadership in the acc including at clemson who said like look we've done our homework on this and frankly what we're being paid by espn and others right now is not that far off from what the acc's true value is relative to its peers The problem is partially that that deal can't be changed anytime in the near future and and networks like ESPN have zero incentive to change it, uh, barring some sort of large scale change in the membership of the ACC. But the flip side of that problem, too, is that that Clemson has essentially been the only program carrying the the flag. And until Florida State and Miami are are playing like earners again or until Notre Dame joins the league or until some other shift changes – that shifts the value of the ACC, you could end the grant of rights tomorrow and it wouldn't change what the ACC's value is very much. I think what it would do is allow schools like FSU, Miami, Clemson, uh, North Carolina to start looking to see if the grass is greener in other pastures. And and I think that's certainly something that is on the mind of fans. I think right now, again, the, the relative price tag is too high but genuinely, every day that passes, that price tag gets a little lower.
0: The grass is most assuredly greener, David.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the grass ain't even green on the ACC side. Actually. We're talking about yellow versus
0: It's blue. yellow and limp, and it's patchy. It's just not good, David. I see it all the time. That's what my lawn looks like, too. So like,
2: not, not too it's, it's hard work keeping those lawns up.
0: This is part one. We'll do part two down the line. My brother, I always appreciate the conversation. It's great to see your face. The beard looks good. And uh, (laughs) I I look forward to seeing you at the ACC kickoff soon enough, brother. Be good, man.
2: All right, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. David Hale, ESPN.com, college football writer extraordinaire. Great to the Jeff Cameron Show. Always a pleasure to have him on. And I think that was uh, a fascinating discussion. Uh, We got a break. Let's go. Jeff Cameron Show ninety three three Real Talk Radio, 4Champ TV. Thanks, David Hale. Appreciate you, buddy. Always does great work. I would encourage you to go read the article that we were referencing, uh, which was the genesis for the conversation. Um, and you know, basically, the trans how college football's transfer portal is changing, spring practice, and and much more. Frankly, I mean, that was just that's the entryway. Uh, you know, I have to tell you that towards the end there when we were talking about the granite rights deal and the value dropping and the amount that's worth dropping exceedingly each and every day that goes by, it did kind of open a window or a door to the other side where you went, I think I see the light. Like they're just doing they're just taking the scales here at this point. And this is what I'm hoping is happening solely selfishly for FSU. But if it's for FSU, it'll be for Clemson. And I don't know about Miami, but they seem to now be invested, so maybe they'll save themselves. North Carolina, certainly. And then it will be very interesting to see the other schools, because I'm not sure. Maybe Virginia Tech, maybe. Uh, But I ask you this. It's just a matter of waiting out that valuation, right? So if the SEC is hell-bent on taking over the world, which it appears they are, and creating and leading the way towards this super conference of college football and kind of just under their umbrella, if you will, then they're looking for when it is cost-effective to say, we'll pay the fine for you. We'll, we'll cover, as we bring you in, what it's going to cost you to violate this agreement. Right. So you're going to violate this agreement because we're now inviting you. You're going to make it all up, don't worry. And we're willing to chip in this amount for your fine if you come join the big boy party. And if that's $200 million, that seems a lot now, but guess what? Wait an hour. So let's see where we go and when yeah, are we going yeah. to extend the offer.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, the grant of rights is supposed to, by contractual law or whatever, agreement, take all of the money you make on mm, television and, and revenue. Happen. Right. It's going to be settled. Of course, everything be, will be everything settled.
0: Everything gets settled anyhow,
1: and it will be a pretty penny. It'll be I, a lot. But I think what's interesting is the it's the Big Ten's lust for programs like a North Carolina that will help move this thing along. It's not just the SEC, right? What fits the Big Ten better than like North Carolina and Virginia? Those are perfect Big Ten programs. Well, they did, you know, and yeah, yeah, well, they are. They did, you don't have they, to be good at football. You got Indiana. They've got well, you know, Illinois. They did, well,
0: they did it with Maryland and uh, well, I should say uh, Rutgers and all that nonsense. Yeah. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with Jeff Camber, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV.